0: It's FAQ NYC. <laughs> I'm wearing a white t shirt and headphones, and I'm thinking about you.
1: Please let that be our intro. Please let that be our intro. News, 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 new, new, news. New York City.
0: The FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. F-A-Q. <laughs> It's FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel in Brooklyn, uh, getting ready for Thanksgiving and here with Professor Christina Greer, Katie Honan, and Alex Brooklyn to talk about all the stuff that's happening for the pleasure of your eardrums. Good morning.
2: Good morning, Harry. Good morning.
0: Oh man, I did a, a class trip yesterday with my fourth grader. It was like Don't talk about anything that happened when I was young. If we're being rough and the teacher doesn't mind, don't get in the way. (laughs) Don't make eye contact. Basically, Basically,
3: she was like, mind your business.
2: Where would you guys Mm -hmm.
0: go? We went to the playground. We walked out of the school. We went to the playground. The kids played madly. Um, my, My daughter forgave me enough because I was good at spinning things. And the other kids thought I was cool. Um, And then we walk back to the school and I got to be like that awesome voice of authority where you say things like tie your uh, shoelaces, young man. And like the young man just stops and ties his shoelaces. (laughs) That's what
2: they're they're calling. Did Bill de Blasio ruin school trips, too? Is that what we're calling school trips nowadays, a trip to the playground? Well, if it's in the summertime. Yeah, it was cold (laughs) yesterday. It's a really awful school trip. You couldn't go to like the Hall of Science or something.
0: It, it, honestly, honestly, for fourth graders, it's like, okay, wait, we're not doing, we're not doing the school stuff. We're going to the playground and running. Like they, they, they were absolutely game. Uh, next one, maybe they'll go to the pizzeria. <laughs> well,
2: awesome. <laughs> well, um, uh, I know. Do we? W- I mean, we can talk about school trips, right? But no, we can. Speaking of trips, is this? I know you are always complaining about our transitions. Should we talk about? Not that we want to talk about the trip to Somos again, because you know it happened earlier this month. But there was an interesting news item. In Politico playbook this morning about how Mayor-elect Eric Adams actually got down to Puerto Rico, Um, he told reporters, including you know my my coworker Yoav Gonen, that he paid for it on his own. But they are reporting Politico is reporting that he actually flew down on the private jet of cryptocurrency king Brock Pierce, who's also a child actor, seen and he played a young Gordon Bombay in Mighty Ducks and D2 and first kid and now he is a crypto billionaire um big supporter of eric adams seen around town with him a lot so that's kind of what they reported i think you can qualify that as a lie it's not so much a fib he said he paid for it in his own dollar and dime and he didn't even use dollars he used cryptos whatever whatever, cryptocurrency Uh,
0: unclear because a spokesman evan Thi said hey so 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 initially adams said i flew there on my dollar my dime and my time yeah Right. And then the assumption was and he flew back on a regular public flight. So the assumption was he was saying he'd flown there that way. Now, it Mm -hmm. turns out he'd actually flown there on the uh, private jet of, uh, you know, former child star Brock Bierce, which is a little different. And his spokesman, uh, Evan Thies, said uh, that, that Adams paid for a seat on a private flight through a travel agent, which. I don't know what travel agent hooks you up with uh, with <laughs> cryptocurrency billionaires. And I, I'm interested in what that costs, but he's yet it's to provide like the, the new receipt. rich
3: form of cameo. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing, Harry and and gang. This brings up it's whether he flew there. I mean, I totally trust the reporters that are on this. I think it brings up a larger conversation of are we in for a series of White Lies slash Whopper Lies. And, you know, Harry, I read your column, which was great this week about this sort of, you know, I felt a little excited about the possibility of a new mayor. You all know I feel excited about January 1st. I think there are a lot of really interesting and good things that Eric Adams can do. That's on the plus column. The negative column is, are we in store for so many little lies where Katie and her colleagues have to sort of chase down sort of, it's like, well, why would you lie about that? And so- do the little ones add up to big lies or are the little ones to keep us distracted from the larger big lies? And I think there's another person who liked to sort of throw out little lies and that was Andrew Cuomo. And so, and, and Donald Trump, I mean, there's, we're, we're getting a little bit of a New York pattern here, which makes me a touch uncomfortable. As excited as I may be about January 1st, the possibility of a new uh, administration, the fact that Eric Adams has possibly lied about something that he didn't have to lie about makes me question what type of mindset we're dealing with.
2: Yeah. And I, not to interrupt you, Harry, but I I think too, as reporters, there's only so many hours in the day for you to chase things down. And you also, as a reporter, you have to choose what you're chasing down. And also there's the perception, because I think the public, right? Like if all you're reporting on are these little smaller lies, people are going to read it and go, well, who cares? You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though you're, trying to establish a pattern of, like you said, the larger lie. And yeah, there's only so many things you can chase down and confirm and go through the whole, you know, I had a conversation with a colleague last week. (laughs) I don't want anyone to feel pity for reporters because the job is the funnest job that I can think of, but it's just emotionally taxing to kind of chase things down, have a spokesperson say, no, no, that's not true. Go through that whole thing and then publish it. And if it's an inconsequential thing, you're like, oh, I just spent three days of my life chasing something down that i don't know and the
3: public doesn't find what you're doing credible because it's like oh, right, right all and katie he, yeah. does is just hunt him down for nonsense and it's like but these are these right. are still lies like yeah they're part of a pattern
0: look yeah. quick context here is a, a a private flight is five figures so i i don't know the amount we haven't seen a receipt right but if you're getting a $15,000 flight and Eric Adams is paying for that on his pro president's salary, that's striking. Uh, if his campaign is paying for it, that's striking. If this is gifted, despite what we've been told, that's really striking. And, of course, this is happening, as Eric Adams is saying, he's going to make New York City a cryptocurrency capital. He'd like to get paid in crypto. I have no strong feelings about one way or the other. but when you're then flying down with a uh, with the crypto billionaire and and not disclosing that information, and I won't say lying. I'll just say giving everyone the strong impression of something else like this this does not uh Inspire good faith. And, and it, it adds to like a long list of questions we have already with, with, with following the money and where it's going around Eric Adams, who like rhetorically and, and how he's presenting himself. Actually, I like a lot. I wrote a whole column about it. Um, I, I hope he's smart enough not to trip himself up with all this and to just sort of endlessly play these games. But it's, it, this is not a great sign.
1: With so many things on the line coming up and an entirely new era for New York City, new mayor, new council, et cetera, Um, the I'm not going to say post pandemic, but the new era in New York for, you know, pandemic relief, eviction real estate, affordable housing, it's hard to trust someone with all of these little lies. Like, when does that seep into the larger, more important stuff is what you have to ask yourself. When is that going to start seeping into real estate and who he's dealing with? And when does that start seeping into uh, the transit system or the mental health system or, you know, any number of things? Like, who is he courting and who or not? Who is he courting? Who is courting him and how, can the city trust with all these smaller lies that larger dealings won't, you know, uh, put in jeopardy the taxpayer dollars to do the right thing or the smartest thing?
0: I mean, the counter case is nobody gives a shit. And, and we saw this with Bill de Blasio. You know, um, he got caught very early on in like a, a series of complicated self-dealing arrangements where he didn't appear to be pocketing any money, but he, he was benefiting his political operation and his statewide ambitions, which is the topic we may return to it in a second. Um, he gets investigated by local and federal prosecutors. This is looming over his first term, and finally, when they say, you know, he broke the spirit of the law, but we're not sure we can we can press charges. He says, "I'm totally vindicated," and I and the rest of the press corps rolled our eyes and openly sneered at this. And then he ran basically unopposed in a Democratic primary for second term. So, so you can have lots of this lingering around you. You you can have. Uh, you're you're lobbyists uh, working on complicated nursing home development deals that go in suspicious fashions. Uh, you can have uh, uh, all sorts of, of of double dealing. And we do seem to reach the point where the threshold is, are you getting criminally charged? And if not, you know, what, what can you get away with? Um, in the meantime, as de Blasio is closing up shop, he's now in his last less than six weeks, I think, uh, the city council just passed non-citizen voting in New York City, uh, which would allow about 800,000 people potentially uh, to vote in our local elections. Bill de Blasio says the state actually has to do this, the city can't, uh, but it just passed with what looks to be a veto-proof majority. And the city council is going to be voting today on this uh, New York Blood Center proposal to put up a big-ass new building In the middle of their block that would have their headquarters and they would then generate a lot of uh, money from they say they badly need this. The local councilman is opposed to it. Traditionally, that's the end. It doesn't matter if everyone else wants it. They they have a fundamental veto on uh, projects in their districts. Uh, It looks like this may change that.
2: Yeah, I I should point out that Gowanus rezoning is also coming to a vote today as well, um, which is maybe speaks to more of the mayor's legacy he had been in favor of this development of um, Gowanus for years since dating back to when he was a council member. Uh, And, and you know, those opposed to it in the community, you just say that it is completely out of context for what they want in the community. You're putting it around the Gowanus Canal, which is still not cleaned up and all these issues there, but that is expected to pass um, today as well. So yeah, legacy items, maybe even more so than the blood center, although it's tied to um, de Blasio's Part of the city's recovery as being a life sciences hub?
3: You know, I'm going to put on my political sciences hat really quickly and get your opinion on something. <laughs> because, you know, the 26th Amendment decreased the voting age from 21 to 18 to hopefully increase participation of the electorate. And it didn't really have that much of an effect. And I'm really curious as to allowing non citizens in New York City who pay taxes. And, you know, we can have a whole another episode debate as to whether or not they should or should not vote. I know a lot of good liberals do not think that non-citizens should vote. Uh, it's not as cut and dry as sort of red versus blue or liberal versus conservative when it comes to non-citizens having the franchise. But I, I think our problems in New York are more institutional. And I don't necessarily think By loosening the laws. Yes, we'll get some people who will participate, which is great. But I actually don't think that that gets at the heart of the problem that we keep talking about on this podcast, which is why is it that a smidgen over 10% of eligible New Yorkers bother to even participate in municipal elections? Is it just me, or I, I just don't think that adding in more people without changing some of the institutional structures will actually make the change that we keep ringing the alarm about, which is we barely have 15% of the electorate participating in these primaries.
0: Blue folks are just so deeply folded on a lot of these things. I, I like non citizen voting. We used to have it in school board elections. I think people who are paying taxes here, dealing with services in the government, should be able to participate in the government. That said, like what we need are competitive general elections and primaries so that people actually show up and turn out and feel staked uh, in the city. And for a whole variety of reasons, uh, Mike Bloomberg has something to do with it. Um, and, and the powers that be in the Democratic Party have a lot to do with it. We just don't have that that, that, that system. Like, like these, these generals are they're, they're gener- generally, ha ha, no contest. And we just saw that, uh, you know, this year. Uh, there were no competitive citywide races. Um, people turned out because they're, they're, they're super voters and they have the habit and it's important to them. And otherwise, there was really no reason to show up. And that, that's a deeply unhealthy system. And and one, that the, the blue states who like to warn about Trump and what red states are doing and voter suppression and those things nationally are all very serious. Uh, they're not they're not tending to their own houses, I think, in a serious way where they actually want people to participate, since, of course, more people participating creates new complications for the people who presently hold power in this lower turnout uh, universe that we have, city that we have.
1: Does anyone know how registering non-citizen voters is going to
3: work? That's a really, really good question. Yeah, I don't know have have about that. Like, I mean, protection, I mean, I, I think the Biden climate is obviously much cooler than, say, the, the previous president. But I still think that there's a lot of fear around interacting with the government in any capacity for a lot of undocumented communities, just because we see this pendulum swinging so wildly, especially at the federal level, and obviously the fact that New York's not nearly as blue as people think it is. So I think the registration and the follow-up and the amount of information you have to give, I wonder if it'll look something more like IDNYC, or if it has to be a little more robust because we are actually dealing with uh, state and federal
0: Levels? But that's one of the, the big looming questions. And obviously, this happened with IDNYC, where it's like, wait, wait, couldn't the feds use this as a roundup database? And when this got passed and Barack Obama was in the White House, it was, oh, ha ha, that'll never happen. And then we ended up rapidly in a very different universe. Uh, to your registration question, Alex, the understanding I have just from reporting is that the BOE would then issue separate registration forms for like green card holders and other non citizens. Right. And they would then get a special ballot that only has the New York City offices on it because the state law wouldn't have changed. Um, and the idea that our deeply incompetent uh, patronage driven Board of Elections would not uh, fuck this up seem, seems uh, infinitesimally low, uh, w- which we may find out about very soon. Uh, but but obviously c- process wise, this is very complicated and much more so if the city is doing this uh, on its own and that holds up in court
1: especially because you're not supposed to have to present any kind of ID at the booth. So this would be during registration, which meant at the actual voting site, like how would they know which form to give you? So that's, ai am I'm very interested in seeing how that unfolds process wise, practically like a voting nerd, voting nerd info.
0: And then we're just gabbing this week. Thanksgiving is coming. We're keeping it easy. Y'all should be keeping it easy. Uh, but can we talk for a minute about uh, Andrew Cuomo? Mm. Remember that guy? Who? He's got a case on no. Monday.
2: <laughs> no, we know him. We, how can we forget him?
0: Well, well the, the assembly is doing their their God's honest best. Like, they, they were going to do a report. Then Carl uh, Heiskey said they weren't going to do a report. Uh, then people yelled at him a lot. He said, OK, we're going to do a report. And what do you know? It comes out on the Thanksgiving uh, holiday week. Um, that said, there is lots in this new report that is, is uh, again, from an outside law firm, conducted by an outside law firm that is really not flattering to Andrew Cuomo, that seems to back up with the outside lawyers who Tish James, the attorney general, brought in, said about him harassing women and expands a, a good deal, something that, that, that is at least as interesting to me, involving his book deal and uh, the the nursing home numbers that didn't come out uh, for many, many months uh, as Cuomo was signing this $5.2 million plus royalties uh, book deal uh, that that, that hid the the impact of this executive order that Cuomo passed that said uh, uh, nursing homes had to take uh, patients back in uh, who may have the, uh, the virus. And then as the death count went up, they they seem to actively obscure this. In the meantime, Melissa DeRosa, who's identified as you know senior staff official, is sending thousands of emails about the book. Uh, the staff is like taking time in the middle of their working days to have like group readings of it. It just uh, you seems know seems dreadful. Harry- and, and 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 just last thing here is, is Cuomo is now polling third, not all that far behind Tiss James in the uh, in the gubernatorial polling we have. Which oh my
3: yeah. I just want to quickly shout out our our FAQ friend of the family, Josefa Velasquez, because she came to visit my urban politics class last week and really just spoke for an hour and a half and chatted with my students about kind of the culture of Albany and the context of Andrew Cuomo in a way that they can't necessarily get just from reading articles, like someone who's, who's been in Albany for quite some time. And so on the one hand, it feels like this house of cards that's falling down on Andrew Cuomo. You know, the report is saying damning things. These 11 women seem more and more and more credible by the moment. The number of people who supported this culture with Andrew Cuomo, the bullying, the anger, all the things. But as you just stated, the fact that he's still third in these polls, and we know that polling has been a touch off, but in New York State, I don't think it's that much off because we we have to look at an age dynamic with a lot of people who just don't think that he did anything wrong and this is a tempest in a teapot. We have to look at older women, especially older white women who are just like, what? So he can't hug anybody? Like, come on, like now it's a bridge too far. And so I wouldn't be surprised, you know, when Josefa was laying out the context to my students, she was pretty much like, I can't see him running again at all. Th- that is just not in her intellectual purview. But for me, I was like, he still has $18 million, he still has name recognition, and he still has quite a few New Yorkers who feel like he was quote unquote railroaded. So even if he doesn't win, the fact that he still has this option to kind of jump in and muddy the waters for Hochul or James, we can lay out those scenarios in a different episode, is, is really disturbing to me the amount of influence and pressure he still has on this upcoming primary, which realistically is around the corner. I mean, it's basically tomorrow. It's June of 2022.
2: Yeah, I mean, he has the money. And like you said, there are still plenty of people who think um, he did a good job during COVID. They think that him resigning was a mistake. They, they don't understand why. They feel that it was a political issue. Um, You know, it was a political attack against him. And that's why he left. So, you know, $18 million is not a small chunk of money. And I don't know how else you would spend it.
1: I mean, I know smart people, reporters who think that he provided a really useful service by just being a counter voice to Trump Mm -hmm. during the time of COVID. I don't have an opinion about that. Um, I almost feel bad for watching the Cuomo show, like it was hilarious uh, and absurd, not really realizing at first that there was a lot of dangerous, you know, inevitably that was gonna play out in a dangerous situation of
3: misinformation for a lot of New Yorkers uh, in a time where we didn't quite need that. Well, Alex, you know, it's interesting, a student of mine said that his family in Seattle, you know, mind you now they're three hours behind New York, when Cuomo would come and give his daily press releases, his family would have coffee with Cuomo. They would like get their coffee and like, This is in Seattle. And another student chimed in in a different part of the country. It's like, my family waited every day to have the Cuomo briefing. And they were just so elated and they thought he was so, you know, direct. And the counter to the president at the time. But I also think it's interesting talking to journalists who were there in that room when they say when the cameras went off, so did the smile. And he went back to being this bullying, berating, sexually harassing governor.
2: Yeah, we can't, you can't underestimate the role that Andrew Cuomo played at a time of great stress in New York, like, and I've heard it from people who support him where they say, I spoke to a woman who said I was in the hospital with COVID and the only consistent voice that I had uh, was Andrew Cuomo. You know, when you just think back to the, how frightening it was in March, April and May in New York City um, and how lonely and and isolating it was, and he just provided that comfort, right? Of course, we know, well, I mean, is House of Cards the right uh, analogy to use here? It, w- it was not, behind the scenes, there was a lot going on that actually made things much more difficult in New York City. But people see what they see, you know, and that's the performance element. That's why the dude earned his Emmy, you know? They asked him to it take back. it back, but <laughs> he earned it, right? That's what, you get Emmys for what you provide and uh, on, on TV and, and, you know, whether it was, fake or not, that, that's what he got it for. But yeah, that is, and that really has stayed. And I just know this because I've, I've covered some of the pro Cuomo rallies and it's stayed with mostly women, but there are also some male supporters there who, who just think this is a strong, important person at a time when we needed that. And that's stayed with them.
3: Well, I think what's interesting though, is that Eric Adams in his capacity of Brooklyn borough president, wasn't necessarily that person in the media, but clearly he was that person to certain communities in Brooklyn. And I think it's, I always go back to that June 22nd sort of quasi-victory speech, uh, primary night, where he seems like he reminds the citizens of New York who voted for him, how scary that time was and how he was the only one, according to according to Eric Adams, who like understood it and provided them a service to help ease that fear. Because I, I think we do sometimes forget because of the, trauma, the traumatic stress, like that March, April, May, June period, where we had literally no idea how long we would be in the scenario. And we're just seeing like crazy wild deaths in New York happen.
2: Yeah,
0: I would uh, I would refer listeners to my April 2020 column. If you're watching these briefings for free, you're a sucker. (laughs) Um, And they absolutely were a uh, source of comfort to to a lot of people. Uh, they were also plainly just a, a, a TV act and like a, you know, a cheap TNT science fiction sort of movie vision of what like a serious leader is like um, talking exhaustively day after day in ways that didn't match up with his actions, uh, but that the, the were, you know, meant to be counterprogramming to Trump and his unhinged circus briefings. Um uh christina notes i'm being an academic and citing myself in conversation
3: yeah. you're official it is official
0: but, but Cuomo, como could run he could run for attorney general if he runs he'd have to run for state office one thing that's interesting is right now kathy Hokel represents sort of the center and all the pressure is on her left tom Swazi, former faq guest who people thought might be somebody who would run to uh, his right, is looks like Eric Adams brought up the idea of him serving as a deputy mayor. Swazi a congressman right now. Um, his district could get ridden out. It's very hard for me to think Adams would have done that to Swazi, who's been an ally and a, a close and a supporter, without talking with Swazi first. So I'm assuming that takes him off the field. And it means that with Jumani Williams there, with Tish James there, with Bill de Blasio about to be there, everyone is running to Hochul's left. Clearly, I think the the political center in this race is going to be to the left of where the political center in the state is. And like maybe that provides an opening um, for Cuomo or or someone else to fill in a way that could be interesting. And again, assuming that that this race too is likely to come down to the primary rather than the uh, general election.
1: I think it's going to be interesting to see with or what uh, Hochul does with uh, opening up more eligibility for um, rent relief and to see how that affects upstaters. Um, well, upstate, we can all debate on where that starts. Uh, but I think things like that are going to be where the races run upstate kind of relief, basically.
0: And I'm not sure if anyone's going to care about this, but um, Kathy Hochul got uh, Brian Benjamin uh, Manhattan, Democrat, African-American guy who just ran very unsuccessfully for controller and um, maybe ended up using some of his campaign funds to help pay for his wedding um, to be her lieutenant governor uh, as as a sort of a political spreading move. Um, Benjamin now. Just had a uh, ally indicted for for the classic matching fund scheme where, uh, you know, you, you give money to seven other people, straw donors to give to the candidate. And then the matching fund system multiplies those dollars. Um, Benjamin hasn't been charged, uh, hasn't been charged in that. And he also just had to the daily news reports, like refile the disclosures he gave to the governor's office before taking office um, after he. Incorrectly answered several questions uh, where the answers would not have been flattering to him, and left one other question blank.
2: I do want to point out. I don't know if this is an academic thing, but it was my colleague Clifford Michelle who kind of who had initially broken those stories about the. I think one of the people uh, who allegedly donated money to Brian Benjamin's campaign was a toddler. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess we want to young, get young people involved in politics. And here we are complaining <laughs> when they bundle donations. We really are so impossible to please. Listen,
3: Katie, I'm the first one to want to get young people inspired to <laughs> participate. However, I think we should do it within the confines of the 26th Amendment. <laughs> but, here, but I think, you know, this is a question for you all journalists on, on the podcast. This Brian Benjamin story doesn't seem to go away. Right? So it, it sort of came up when he was running for controller. Um, you know obviously he thought that there were some racial undertones and overtones to him being attacked for this, but it, it kind of went away when he came in forth, no harm, no foul. We'll just you know go back to Albany and, and figure it out. And now that he's lieutenant governor, he is lieutenant Governor, he's not acting lieutenant governor. He is the lieutenant governor um, and is going to obviously be on the ticket with Kathy Hochul in the general if she's victorious. So how much of a liability now is Brian Benjamin? And if this story continues to heat up over the next few months, can Kathy Hochul shake Brian Benjamin or would she, right? Because he he not only represents obviously an African-American wing and a Harlem wing, but he does represent this kind of like Albany credibility that she didn't have and she needed. Like she doesn't have a relationship with folks in Albany. So does she let him go if this stays? if people keep digging or is it just you know we're in it and for a penny and for a pound
2: because
3: well, she, the knows, governor, she knows she a... separately from the lieutenant governor in the primary mm-hmm. and then together as a ticket she,
0: she she knows about the governor trying to drop the lieutenant governor right yeah yeah
3: and she knows, and she about knows how what works on. and what doesn't work
0: <laughs> Ooh, i've got a whitening round question i think you all are uh, going to like which is better or worse your pick taking candy from a baby or taking campaign funds from a baby? <laughs> <laughs> it
2: honestly depends on the candy, you know. The kid, baby, I think it depends candy on the anyway. baby. <laughs> yeah, babies shouldn't be eating candy anyway. That's for adults. So their teeth are still growing.
0: <laughs> That's what I tell my kids about the Halloween candy. Like, yeah. this is for your own good.
2: <laughs> they get it for us to eat.
0: Dad's got it. Yeah, my teeth are already gone.
3: <laughs> um, I don't know this is a good question. I guess our our listeners will have to let us know.
2: Yeah. That's
1: your Thanksgiving dad joke.
2: Yeah. There's more where that comes from.
1: Much more. We just try to edit it for you guys usually, but this one, (laughs) this one stays in. The kid stays in the picture.
3: Well, I mean, Harry's on a roll today. He's citing himself like he's an academic. I mean, he's like the, you know, the New York Cornell West. (laughs) As Harry Siegel said in April of 2021, I do believe there's an article that we need to
0: I'm going to get myself in the Matrix sequels.
3: If you start a rap album, I'm out of here. Okay, we need to boogie on. Hey, two things. One, I want to say happy belated birthday to our beloved Harry Siegel. That's one. And two, I want to say happy holidays to everyone and find out what it is that you're most looking forward to eating on Thanksgiving.
2: Enjoy everyone. Stay safe and you know, be safe if you're traveling and visiting family and take appropriate action for because COVID is still around.
3: What are you gonna eat, Katie? What's your favorite meal? We favorite dish.
2: I hate turkey. I, I've convinced my parent, my mom, to make chicken too. She's making a small turkey, but you know, I'm like a mashed potatoes. I love the rolls. You know, we just do some Pillsbury. I love those dinner rolls. <laughs> People in these rolls. I never understand the purpose
3: of rolls on Thanksgiving. I just feel like that's like empty space in the belly.
2: No, I love, we, we, my family eats very early. We sometimes eat before noon. So that's also like psychotic, oh. but we, yeah. Early bird special. the eat early, I also hate early. turkey. It just, it smells bad in the fridge the next day. I'm like, why are we eating turkey when chicken is, is around? You know? So I've <laughs> changed my mom to make a chicken too. Actually, well, I've actually been tasked to make it. So I'm roasting the chicken. We all mm-hmm. have
1: pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> As real New Yorkers
2: <laughs> eating pigeon. <That's->
1: <laughs> <laughs> pigeon and Pheasant.
2: Alex,
1: what game. are you looking forward to? Um, well, it's Walter's first Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to not spending it with to like any parental family members, but being able to like go hang at another house that also has babies. So if there's like crying or dirty diapers or breastfeeding going on, like nobody has to feel it's just all out there and all just a mess. Hang it, let and it I, all hang out. Yeah, just to get comfortable. Excellent.
3: Harry Siegel.
0: I'm gonna eat a lot of pie. That's my plan.
1: Mm.
0: Have and you ever then, had my sweet
3: potato pie? I'll save you a slice.
0: And then I'm gonna come over to Professor Christina Greer's <laughs> house, and, uh, and and there are smoked meats being delivered. I hear.
3: Yes, <laughs> we're having we're having a bagels and bubbly date. Um, I I'm I, mac and cheese all the way, African American pride. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Af- like macaroni and cheese is better than th- than turkey. That's <laughs> been floating around the internet. And my friend who's making it all of a sudden was like, well, I can do like gluten-free. I was like, lady, listen, do not start messing with the mac and cheese recipe. We're not doing that this Thanksgiving or ever. Like it's supposed to be butter, cheese and noodles, period. (laughs) Nothing fancy.
1: For me, I think it's just whatever I can eat with one hand that's somewhat good (laughs) is is gonna work out and also fall on top of Walter's
2: head.
0: Oh, well. Happy birthday to Katie Honan. Oh, I didn't mean yeah, that. Right whoop. after Thanksgiving. Whoop
2: whoop. Yeah, I was Ooh. born on Thanksgiving Eve, so. Mm. That's why it used to be my favorite holiday.
3: Oh, well, happy birthday, Katie Honan. Happy belated birthday, Harry Siegel. And thank you for listening to FAQ NYC. Happy holidays for those who celebrate. And we're out. F.A.Q. F-A-Q. <laughs> FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brookhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn, Manhattan and Queens. A special thank you to our guests this week. None. It's just us. Happy Thanksgiving. Our executive producers Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara mixed and edited this episode. Be well, have a great holiday, get some rest, eat some food, drink some water, all that good stuff. Wear a mask and we'll see you next week.